How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome in to another edition of Booze and Baseball. This is episode number 34 here with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Dusty, what are you drinking tonight? And go ahead and give us our throwback baseball stat of the week since you did the research on this puppy. Yeah, Derek normally is the one that carries the load on uh, on these throwback stats. So today I uh, decided to find it myself and uh, decided to go to a 1950. And so with that, you know, it gives you kind of a mind haze, if you will, going back to that time. That's what this beer is called. Try to weave that in somehow, some way. <laughs> this is Firestone Walker. Uh, it's a double IPA. I've, I think I've had this actually before. We'll give her a crack. Um, the Firestone Walker Brewery, uh, the 805, uh, it's actually in Paso Robles, which is about 35 minutes north of where I live in San Luis Obispo. Uh, giving it a taste here. Definitely had this before, um, and it is really good. It's a, like I said, double IPA. Um, probably one of the better ones that I've had, especially from Firestone Walker. They've got a pretty good brand out there. Uh, I, this is one that I prefer. I did not remember if I had tried this or not, but they have this on draft as well at their main brewery and it's a really good spot uh if you go wine tasting out in Paso robos which is what it's primarily known for out there uh and you pass this massive brewery that's the firestone walker the 805 brand uh definitely swing by there however so for our stats of the week uh on this day in 1950 the st louis browns obviously no longer a team name that exists anymore on the road at the cleveland indians which technically by the end (laughs) of the year will not be a team name uh, the Browns won the game six to nothing behind a shutout by Don Johnson. So he mm. improved his record to five and five. Derek, he went nine innings pitch. He allowed seven hits. So he wasn't dominant by any means on the Hills. Uh, two walks, but no runs allowed. Only struck out five. So was not particularly dominant, but still able to throw a shutout. That's pretty impressive. Back in the day, obviously, they were able to go deeper in games. His ERA, though, is the fun part about this. So it improved after going nine shutout innings to 6.91. So very rough season for him that year. Bob Lemon on the other end took the loss. He allowed four earned runs, six runs total. His ER or his record fell to 20 and 10. So you talk about two polar opposite pitchers. In fact, Lemon actually led the league that year and wins with 23. The reliever that followed Lemon, uh, this is a name you'll never hear probably ever again, or you should never. It's called Dick Week. So yeah, <laughs> it's a real name and it's weak spelled W E I K. He went two and two thirds scoreless innings though. But yeah, as I mentioned, lemon was the primary name in that matchup. Did not get any run support. Did not matter. 
23 wins on the year, though, we will probably not see that happen again. Derek, what are you drinking? All right. So first of all, that is wild that he was pitching that deep into the season that he wasn't like, oh, hey, you have because at that point, if it, the shutout brought him to a 6.91 ERA, then would have been at what a seven or eight or so beforehand. And that was pretty I mean, close. His record was five and five. Right. He pitched in a lot of games like at some point. I would have right. thought like, oh, hey, stop using him. So who knows? Uh, I'm drinking a new Belgium beer. It is called a Dominga. And I'm pulling a, a bit of a Dusty Baker here, which is, hey, I don't have any beer in my fridge. So what is in there? <laughs> well, my wife just bought these beers and she actually doesn't like them. So I gave it a try. It's called a Dominga. It is a mimosa sour. Oh, that and is. So, yeah, it's it's a beer that is like a mix of like a mimosa sourish. And, and normally I hate sour beers. This one's not that sour. It almost tastes a little bit like a summer shandy. So it's actually really good. And I was surprised by this. It's 6%. A mimosa sour. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Uh, yeah, it's almost like if you mixed like a summer shandy type of beer with like a little bit of Sunny D. It's it's interesting. <laughs> that's actually kind of awesome. Do you like it? Like, like is it something I actually do. Can... Yeah, like I said, I don't like sour beers. Now, I know some people who do and, you know, no issue with that. Um, but this one is actually good. I just, I don't like it when they're ultra sour and this is just not that, which is funny because I like went sour to a, candy, but if you went on vacation, okay. And you had, uh, you've been drinking all these German beers lately. So mm-hmm. yeah, had, very uh, different. yeah it, very different taste. So if you went on vacation and you saw this out there on draft, would you willingly go and get that on draft or would you choose something else depends on the vacation if i was on the beach like absolutely this would be a perfect beer to sip on the beach it's refreshing it's easy to drink and yeah it's six percent so you can get a nice little buzz off it pretty pretty easily without having to buy too many of them at the overpriced beer stand would you call this like a frank schwindel kind of player uh comparison something that you didn't expect would be good and somehow some way it's actually very good (laughs) Yeah, I'll give it that. I'll give it a Frank Schwindel or a uh, who else is good that or has had good stretches. Eric uh, Eric Haas or Haas or Haas. Yeah, Haas. Yeah, catcher slash outfielder for the Tigers. <laughs> really bizarre combo you have. Oh, there. what about this guy for the uh, Angels? Uh, oh, what is his name? He's been hitting like three through five in the lineup, and I I don't know why I'm blanking. I on know exactly. Right well, there's Gosselin, Phil Gosselin. Yep, Philip Gosselin. He's like yeah. 32 <laughs> years old and he's, you know, having like a, I, I say breakout year. It's not like that crazy, but he's actually like playing pretty okay of late. Like he's stealing bases Came in the last couple of weeks. Right? He's, I don't know. He's hitting like over 270. He's kind of interesting, I guess, which brings us to our first segment, which is craft beer snobs. Now I enjoy craft beer. You enjoy craft beer. But there's another level. Don't be a snob about it. Don't be the guy who, you know, is, oh, I only drink craft beer. I look down on you for drinking this other thing. Don't be like that. Everybody has their own tastes. Enjoy what you want and let other people enjoy what they want. But um, that is like a classification of certain people. And sorry to offend you if if that's you. Again, no offense. Just whatever you like is whatever you like. So we're going to do that with craft beer snobs. We're going to be snobs about some underrated Dynasty League pickups here in September, right? If you are maybe out of the playoff race and you're just trying to pick some guys up and maybe they'll have keeper value, maybe they won't. It'll probably be dependent on what your rules are in your league. Some leagues are just, you bring everybody back. Some leagues, you have a certain amount of keepers, whatever it is. So for this, because they're craft beers, which are maybe a little more like diamonds in the rough, you have to pick players who are rostered by 25% or less of leagues we're just going to go off yahoo here and they also cannot be hurt 
which would be a reason why they're so like Mike Soroka is only rostered in like 20% of leagues, but he's hurt or it cannot be like a top prospect. So it can't be like, Oh, well, Nate Pearson, even though he just got called up, like Nate Pearson's only owned by whatever, 10, 15%. Um, you can't use those to qualify. So we're going to have four different aisles. This is another craft beer thing. There are certain craft beers that instead of the normal six pack to be different, they sell them in four packs. So we're also going to do this in a four pack way and we'll go back and forth. You have to pick from one aisle. There are four different types of craft beer. There are four different types of aisles you're shopping in the young hitter aisle, which they have to be 26 or under. And again, fit into those parameters above uh, young pitcher aisle, which is 26 or under just an other aisle, which is just has to fit into the parameters, but it doesn't have to fit into the previous, you know, being under 26 and then bounce back candidates, somebody who was expected to have a solid season or a good season and just didn't. And you think could have a good year next season. So I'll let you go first. You can pick what aisle you're shopping in and what player you want to go with. Yeah. Oftentimes in, in kind of with the focus on, on a keeper league, you know, obviously I think something to, uh, to look at, is the fact that guys that maybe don't produce this year can have massive breakouts the the following year. We see it all the time. So keeping in mind that you're looking mostly for potential. And so uh, we have a few names that are drawn up uh, just on our little spreadsheet in the background here. And uh, one that it kind of immediately jumped out to me is Brendan Rogers. Uh, mm-hmm. Rogers's numbers have definitely spoken recently. He's, he's had pretty decent production actually over the last month or so. He's only 21% rostered. He also has two very premium positions in second base and shortstop. And, and he plays in Colorado. He's a young player. Uh, the fact that he's only 21% owned is kind of shocking to me. I actually tried to acquire him in our league at the deadline because I saw some future value with him as well. Uh, and, to be honest with you, he could theoretically, as Derek kind of previewed there, we're not going to name top prospects. I mean, he's at that like cusp where he's no longer obviously a prospect, but he was just recently over a year ago uh, considered a top 10 prospect. And it's crazy because people will just fall off the hill uh, with some of these guys. And uh, I really like what I've seen from Brendan Rodgers. I think the opportunity is going to be there uh, next year as well. Um, give him a chance with Garrick Hampson. And uh, in that lineup, I think it's actually going to be okay uh, moving forward with guys around him. The Rockies offense has actually not been all that bad recently. And I think that if that carries over to next year, Rodgers could be hitting in a decent lineup and could be a decent piece uh, near the top of that order. I could really see that being a possibility. So I really like him in the young hitters category. Yeah, he was, uh, I was between like one of two or three guys in that young hitters category shopping there. And he was one of them. Um, I mean, you look at what he's done over the last seven days, he's really heating up, but overall on the season too, like, yes, it's not numbers that blow off the page, but a 794 OPS. If you told me that a former guy who went in the top three of the draft was a former top prospect is now just, I mean, he just turned 25 years old, like a month ago, and he has a 794 OPS in as a middle infielder. Okay. You are piquing my interest there and add to it this. I like this. His home OPS is 755. His road OPS is 834. So he's not like just gaining stuff by being in Coors Field. I would imagine the home numbers could even go up being in Coors Field. And he's going to get playing time on this Rockies team. I really like Brendan Rodgers. I'm going to go shopping in the young hitters aisle as well. Um, Some other guys, just to make mention of the ones that we have down here. Tyler Stevenson, kind of interesting, has a slightly over 800 OPS at the catcher position. Still kind of young. Uh, doesn't have a ton of power though. Pavin Smith 
is a guy for the Diamondbacks who, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with Christian Walker in this offseason. Do they non-tender him? Do he's they... had a horrible year. He's yeah, had but year. he's had good years in the past, so I don't know what they do there. But if they get rid of him, does it open the door for Pavin Smith? Do they bring somebody in to platoon him with? If he's getting a ton of playing time, he could be really interesting. He was a former first-round pick for the Arizona Diamondbacks and a guy who uh, can kind of give you a lot of, like, doubles and doesn't have a ton of home run pop but still can give you, like, a fair amount there and hit for good average. Nick Senzel, the former top prospect pedigree, just hasn't stayed healthy. He's interesting. Jorge Mateo is getting a ton of playing time right now and a guy who can get you some steals, but it's just I don't know what the floor is for the average and you're not going to get any power there. Carter Keeboom is a guy who, again, high prospect pedigree. The power has just not been there, but if you want to take that risk, I get it. Andy Abanez is kind of a guy who he's just getting a lot of playing time for the Texas Rangers. Austin Hayes, top prospect pedigree. He, again, gets thrown into the bin of, well, I don't know if the power is ever going to be there, but if the power just comes a little, which I will say over the last, I believe, month or so for Austin Hayes, his slugging is around 460. So if that continues, then he is very much a like keeper player moving forward. But the question is, is that long-term or just like a, a nice little run for him? And then the other guy is Andres Jimenez, who is just 23 years old, I believe. He can play second, third, or shortstop. He's only owned in 19% of the leagues. He can give you a lot of steals, and he's starting to hit a little bit better than what we saw early on. But the guy I would take in this young hitter spot for – 26 and under Abraham Toro. He's just 24 years old. Um, he's a guy who hit just a lot of like power with Houston in limited games, but didn't hit for average at all. Since he got traded over to Seattle in the Kendall Gra- Graveman trade, he has hit 313 with the Mariners. He's got a 390 on base percentage. And we know that he has that power. He has 10 home runs this year in 73 games. It's not like, you know, 40 home run power, but uh, for a guy that can give you a couple positions, second and third, mainly you think about a second baseman who can give you 20, 25 home runs and can give you maybe a handful. He's got five steals, maybe can give you 10, 12 steals on a season. If that average in OBP, what he's doing with Seattle, even if it is what his season average is when you combine the Houston and Seattle time at 269, 346 OBP, uh, that's a pretty playable player. And he reminds me a little bit of Ty France just in terms of hey, he's this infielder with multi-positional eligibility on the Seattle Mariners. He's shown some success. He hit really well in the minor leagues. I really like what Abraham Toro can bring for you in a uh, long-term result. Yeah, I like Toro. I actually owned a share of him as well. He's on a four-game hit streak where three of those games he's had two hits. Uh, You know, honestly, I think uh, there was some drawback uh, after that Kendall Graveman trade, but you could make an argument that Seattle got the better end of that deal. Uh, Toro has a lot of future value. I really like him. Derek mentioned a lot of those names, obviously, in the young hitters category. Uh, And to be honest with you, I I would actually select, just because I like young hitters, I would select one more, and it's not on that list. Uh, Right at the 25% roster mark a uh, pretty big fan of this one Derek will relate to this because he owned him at one point in time his name is Akil Badu uh, yeah. outfielder for the Detroit Tigers uh, Badu is 23 years old his birthday was August the 16th so heading into next year it'll be his technically age 24 season but he'll be 23 most of the year so very young very raw talent as well it's hard to project exactly what direction offensively he will go moving forward, but I think he's probably one of the most raw, but yet talented players offensively in the league. And a lineup that, honestly, the Tigers lineup has improved, and it's going to get better. 
Uh, so having pieces around him like Torkelson next year, I think that's going to help him a little bit. Uh, but just in general, uh, Badu's raw numbers are pretty decent. 259 average, 328 on base percentage, 460 slugging. Um, and, and he's been hitting decently well. He gets a leadoff spot, so he gets at-bats. I really like Akil Badu moving forward. I think that he could be a really sneaky player. Um, he kind of reminds me, if you look back in the day at a guy like DJ LeMahieu, where LeMahieu was not really getting many reps or whatnot in Colorado. He wasn't really known. He moves to the Yankees. All of a sudden, he becomes DJ LeMahieu. Everybody knows of. I, I think Badu, give him some time. And if he gets at the top of the order consistently, he can rope hits together day after day. He can kind of be one of those guys that you consistently trust to get on base and score runs. And so I'd be curious to see if he plays somewhat of a similar role. Those are obviously two very different projectable players, but I think fantasy value wise, uh, he, he could have a similar path in that sense. Um, and I'm just curious to see what he could do moving forward, but I really like this guy on top of that. He steals bases. He has 14 stolen bases this season. So you're talking about a guy that could give you a decent amount of pop. He's got 12 home runs and 340 at bats. Uh, if he could give you a 2020 season hitting 275, that is nothing to scoff at right there. So definitely curious to see what happens with him. He's at exactly 25% owned right now um, in standard Yahoo League. So would love to see uh, if somebody picks him up in our league, uh, if that guy could potentially be, you know, maybe a, a last keeper. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Okay, uh, who are you going to go shopping for? What aisle are you going to go shopping in next? I would say just going with the, the list that we have on our list, it's going to be our other list has Brandon Nimmo as 25, 21% owns. And I really like Nimmo on base percentage wise. I think that he has similar opportunities actually is what we talked about just now with Badu. Um, Nimmo will hit at the top of the order. Uh, the Mets lineup is starting to show at least signs of improvement. So I like Mark Hanna a little bit. Very similar, actually. That's a really good comp right there. And just underrated, an underrated name. Uh, but the OBP is really what I look at with Nemo. Uh, he's not going to give you a ton of slugging percentage right there. That's the one major drawback. But I think that he's serviceable enough and he's still really young and has, has the capabilities. He's proven that he can be fantasy relevant. I, I personally like Nemo from that list. Okay, I'm going to go shopping in the bounce back candidate list. Just somebody who's had a bad year. I think could bounce back. That would be, mm, I don't know. I'm between like Haas, Young, Kim, because I was really high on him coming over from the KBO. But I'm going to actually go Clint Frazier. Uh, Clint Frazier just had a nightmarish season, and it just never picked up. Uh, he hit 186. I guess it's still going. But 186 with a 317 OBP, 317 slugging is it for Clint Frazier. The strikeout percentage has always been there around 30%, but he's been able to manage it, which like last year, he hit 267. Year before he hit 267. And this is, isn't in full seasons or anything, but he's had that K percentage up there. The walk percentage is good this year. It's at like 15%. Um, the BABIP is not high though, which is weird because he's still hitting the ball really hard. Like that hasn't changed. So I, I'm not ready to quit Clint Frazier. Do I think he's going to be a star or anything at this point? No, but I definitely, especially if he gets traded away or sent to another team and has more opportunity, has like everyday opportunity and maybe just getting away from New York where the pressure is on each and every day and every day you struggle. I mean, we're seeing that a little with Joey Gallo right now. I, I think Clint Frazier could have a nice bounce back season. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, Frazier is 
one of those names where you just are kind of sitting and waiting to see where that production is going to be. You, you know, this guy is going to produce at some point in his career, right? He's kind of shown already that he can. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the opportunities. He really hasn't had that. And so, yeah, I think a change of scenery would mean he should be rostered if that does happen uh, in the offseason. Another one that we look at on our list right here uh, that I really like uh, as just kind of a flyer would be bounce back candidates. And I would take Victor Robles. He's also 21% owned. Listen, top prospects, that does not mean anything to me. Okay. If somebody's ranked in the top 10 in prospect level, you, you would expect that at some point in time they're going to produce, right? It's not always the case. We saw Jerkson Profar. Uh, much of his career, he played as a backup, uh, didn't really produce. You could argue that Victor Robles is, is kind of going on that same path as what Profar kind of went on to do. He's as a top prospect in Washington. Uh, shockingly, was a top prospect over Juan Soto uh, for a couple of years there. So kind of crazy to show you just the disparity of what top prospects mean versus reality. However, I'm still going to take a flyer on him. I think that there's still production. He's got speed. Uh, he's really got to work on that hit tool. If he can manage to find a way to be a 260, 275 player, which is saying a lot. I mean, that, that is saying a lot. But if he could do that, that guy is almost an automatic 35, 40 stolen bases. Um, and so I think that he's got some stuff to work on. Obviously, he just got sent down uh, to the minor leagues. And that's a huge change of pace for him, uh, considering he hasn't been in the minors, I believe, in two years. So interested to see kind of if he can make a comeback. Uh, I think he's so young that it's it's you could almost make an argument it's not even a comeback. It's just that he actually gets a real kick into a start of his career. Uh, everybody projects differently. Um, and uh, we mentioned Joey Gallo just a little bit ago there. Joey Gallo was considered a massive bust for the Rangers for years. Uh, and then all of a sudden he became a key piece on the deadline this year. So you just never know how players project. Byron Buxton's another one too. That's kind of like that path where he was a top prospect. Didn't do anything. This was truly the first year he's shown signs of slugging. And uh, then he, of course he gets hurt 50,000 times. So uh, it just, it really depends on um, kind of timetables for each of these guys. But I think it sounds to me like Robles is just going to have a little bit longer uh, of a time to adjust the league. And I, I would take a chance on him. Yeah. I go back and forth on him. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, in his minor league career too, like the numbers were there. He hit basically like 300 in his minor league career. Um, the power wasn't really a thing, but you got a bunch of steals and he had a really high, almost a 390 on base percentage. Even the slugging was, you know, the power, like I said, wasn't totally there, but it's still 456 slugging in the minors. I, I wonder if what's going on right now is just mental because even right now, he's obviously been sent down to AAA and AA in his stints in the minors this year, it's only seven games, but he has a 695 OPS in 214. So I wonder if there's something there. I just am worried with him. The the hard hit rates and, and you know, uh, the baseball savant page just does not look good at all. And the thing is with him, it doesn't have to. Like, if you go look at Whit Merrifield's baseball savant page, it's not impressive either. But because he's fast and because he's able to, like, you basically have to clear, like, a 700 OPS. If you can right. clear a 700 OPS – then you're going to be playing a good amount and he's at like 600. So that's the challenge for him. But yeah, you're right. He's still so young. The potential is still there. Somebody's going to give him a shot. He's going to get playing time. And that on its own makes him a little bit valuable. The only thing I'm worried about is that the nationals, a team who is basically selling at this point and is not very good, sent him down to the minors instead of keeping him up. So who would hold on to him in the, the majors? That's the big key. But um, we've seen guys before who, you know, like he was actually pretty okay a couple of years ago 
and then just had this. Like we saw that with Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs. He came up, was good. Then he struggled, hits under 200 last year, and now he had a great season this year and had that great stretch with the Nationals before getting traded. So that's definitely on the table. You definitely can never count a guy like that out who's young. Okay, I'm going to go shopping. So I either need a young pitcher or an other category. Let's go into the young pitcher category. This is a guy I'm really excited about, and he's only owned in 3% of Yahoo leagues. That would be Justin Steele. Justin Steele is a guy who... I don't know. He wasn't like a top, top prospect, like not like a, you know, top 50 prospect or anything, but among the Cubs circle, he was one of their better prospects, so to speak. And he came up a little bit last year and was solid um, used in relief. And this year he's been up and he's been really good as a starter in kind of his first full year coming up. He's 26 years old. So he's just on the edge of that young pitcher mantra, but we always talk about how, Pitchers seem to develop when they're in that like 26 to 28 year range. And he's got insane fastball spin. He's a guy who has a three, seven, five ERA right now in so far, just 36 innings. But um, you're looking at solid whip numbers. He's averaging more than a strikeout per inning pitched. And here's what I like the best. If you go to his baseball savant page, there's a uh, pitcher comparison for the types of pitches, the types of velocity, the types of pitch movement that he gets and what pitchers compare to him. And here's two of the names that are the five similar pitchers, Danny Duffy in 2021 and Max Freed in 2021. Those are pretty good comps for two of the five. Then you go to his batted ball profile. Here's two of the five comps there, Lance McCullers and Luis Castillo. Those are two pretty good names as well. So he's a guy that I am really interested to see what he does moving forward. He throws like a 93-mile-per-hour sinker, about a 94-mile-per-hour four-seamer, and then he has a slider. Uh, he also has a curveball and a changeup that he can throw at different times. But for the most part, he's using you know the main pitches of the four-seamer, the slider, and the sinker. And he's been good for the Cubs. And I think that it's easy to forget with a team that – is so barren this way on the roster that they still have some like good young players. So Justin Steele is a guy that I'm keeping my eye on. And I think next year could have a breakout season. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I, I honestly could see some future value with him. It's crazy. Here's the thing uh, because Derek mentioned the ownership right there, 3% owns do not buy into the idea of what other people are doing. Make sure you have your own personal analysis on these players because if you see 3% owned, that'll probably lead you to think, oh, well, you know, I can wait on this guy. If you're playing in a good competitive league, other guys know exactly who that person is regardless of what the ownership level is. So uh, very important to note, that's a great pick for Derek. I'm going to actually stay in that same category. And I'm going to go with Jackson Coar there. Uh, he's a 8% owned starting pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, you know, he hasn't been particularly impressive uh, in his start so far in the major leagues, but uh, you have a top 30 prospect right there. He's another one of those guys. I kind of like these younger dudes that uh, maybe are slept on, maybe just after their initial go at it in the MLB, they maybe didn't produce quite as highly as they expect. Derek and I kind of have the same firm belief about starting pitchers that are young, that they just do not produce until they're around maybe age 26, 27. Um, and so Coar could take some time before he actually develops into a legitimate pitcher uh, that could be an ace. Uh, but he has the capabilities. He gets strikeouts. 
Um, he, he, in his most recent start, struck out seven. Uh, yeah, he did give up uh, a certain amount of runs that uh, is not a pretty amount. It, but- it was pretty much one bad inning, though, and, and a lot of the runs you could attribute to, you know, a little bit of unluckiness, but yeah. Right, right. Right. And, and, and that's the thing about it is you can't read all into the numbers. He's gone six innings in consecutive starts. His most recent one, obviously against Baltimore, didn't go exactly the way he had hoped. But the one before against Cleveland went six innings, striking out six, gave up two runs, quality start. I mean, this kid has potential. Um, and uh, that's what you're shooting for at this point. If you're looking moving forward, but potential is the key in this. And so I, I like uh, the put out stuff that he has, I think that he legitimately projects as a guy that's going to be uh, probably around like 75, 80% owned in a couple of years. So if you're one of those teams that's currently losing right now, maybe it's not the worst idea to go bite the bullet and, you know, bring him in and expect that he's not going to put up numbers right now during your, you know, sitting out of the playoff time. But in a year or two, this kid will probably be one of your better pitchers. Uh, that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, and I think honorable mention there, AJ Alexi, he's owned in just 10% of leagues right now. He was a drafted Dodger, eventually got moved over to the Rangers. I don't know how. Um, but I think this Calhoun trade. I, okay. Or maybe, maybe. So this past year, or this season, I should say, in double A, he had a 161 ERA. In triple A, he had a 184 ERA. You total it up in the minors over 16 games. 166 ERA, 1.02 whip, 10.5 K per nine. Really good numbers for this guy. And he's got called up to Texas. He's only made two starts so far. And he's kind of flying under the radar because he's on a team who's not contending or anything. But through two starts, 11 innings pitch, 2-0 record. He's yet to give up an earned run or just a run in general. He's only allowed two hits in the 11 innings. 0.6 whip, 9 K per nine. Check this guy out. Definitely worth a flyer if you're not contending right now for your league. Okay. I've got one last category to shop in. That would be the other category. You know, if you really need a closer, maybe you retain your whole roster. If you're in one of those leagues where it's just a pure dynasty, you retain everyone, then you would keep your closer. Rowan wick is interesting. He's closing right now for the Cubs. He's pitching really well, uh, has really good stuff. And he's going to be the closer I would assume next year. But if you have a set amount of keepers, you're probably not going to keep a, relief pitcher who's on a team who's not going to win a ton of games and get you too many save it chances. So uh, I would go with John Gray. He is a free agent at the end of the season. And who knows, he's probably, I would assume, going to get the qualifying offer from the Rockies, which sounds like that's the case. Yeah. And for him, I feel like that is going to be a tough choice because on one hand he might think, Hey, I want to get out of here as a pitcher. Um, Maybe he can get more. I'm sure he can get more in terms of total dollars over, the long haul when you look at maybe I can get like a three-year this contract, but it's probably going to be less money per year. So maybe he makes that decision to stay. But I would imagine he's going to leave uh, possibly. And if he does, that really helps him. I mean, he's had a pretty good year in general. He's averaging over strikeout per nine innings just by a little bit. 4.1 ADRA, which is really good considering the part that he's pitching in. You look at his expected ERA too, it's at 3.82. He's a guy who is – at 29 years old, right around that kind of prime for a pitcher that we just keep alluding to here, he could go to, you know, a team. If if John Gray went to like the Dodgers or the Giants or the Cardinals or I whoever. The Giants being a great fit, actually. Yeah, just get him out of Coors Field. I could see him having a great season. So John Gray would be somebody I would buy low right now. If you could pick one player uh, that's not on this list, uh, maybe it's not off the top of your head. One that I was honestly surprised you didn't mention because it just seems like a Derek player to me. 
uh, at least a little bit would be Luis Arise, who's uh, 17% owned. I feel like that's a Derek player uh, that's 24 years old, I believe. And to me, that's a guy that uh, at least fits kind of what you always look for. But if yeah. there's another player. You know what it is, though, with Luis Arias, and I agree with you, this is a Derek player. He plays multiple positions, second, third, and outfield. He's only 17% rostered. He hits high average. He's hitting over 300 this year, hit over 300 last year. Doesn't really give you any pop, but he'll help you in the other categories. What it is for me, Luis Arias and his, like, pudgy face make me <laughs> think that he's, like, 35 years old. But he, I, He's so young. Yeah, I, that blows my mind every time I hear his age. Yeah, I just feel like that I was when we made this list uh, and Derek, Derek comprised of all these different rostered players. That was the one that I was expecting to see out of everybody because <laughs> he is the most Derek player I've ever seen. But uh, would you keep a guy like Luis Arias just out of curiosity? Um, again, it depends on, you know, your league situation in our league. I would not. We only have a set amount of keepers and that includes like prospects and stuff. But I don't know if you're in like a really deep league, if you're in like a 14 or 16 team league, I, I would definitely consider it because, you know, you're going to have to balance him with like if, if you pair a Luis Arias with a Joey Gallo, you have a perfect combination of players. You have a guy who I mean, both really are going to give you good yeah. OBP and then you have one guy yeah. who gives you good power. One guy who gives you good average. They equal out in the middle and you have like a, I don't know, a 270 hitter with good power numbers. So um, it's just all about the strategy there. But I mean, he'd be on the table, like I said, in a deeper league. Another guy that, I mean, you mentioned not on this list, Lamonte Wade for the Giants. They acquired him for Sean Anderson, who is not good at all as a pitcher. And Lamonte Wade has gone out. He's put up 17 bombs this year. He feels like the new Mike Yastrzemski, just a guy that Farhan picked up, could have a really good year. I mean, he's got over an 800 OPS, good power numbers. He's not going to blow you away with his average and his playing time necessarily but he's been a good player and he's kind of interesting to me to see what he does in year two with the Giants next year whether he's just kind of like a, a one-year guy because we see that all the time in baseball and I think it's definitely possible with Lamonte Wade or if he is more of a uh, a guy who can be a mainstay for a year to come years to come because he's 27 years old it's not like he's doing this when he's getting his first taste of the big leagues at 32. Shout, shout out to the uh, the Incline Dodgers podcast. They had me on as a guest a week ago, and we talked about Lamonte Wade for way too long because he is <laughs> an ultimate Dodgers killer. Literally does not make sense, but that guy just knows how to hit in, in the most clutch situation. Uh, elephant in the room, obviously the Giants defeated the Dodgers in two games out of three over the weekend. Derek's riding a high from that. Uh, and Lamonte Wade, how about some of the most clutch hits of that series too? So yeah, I, I can't explain it with that guy. He came out of the middle of nowhere, but somehow, some way, Lamonte Wade, every time he steps up to the plate as a Dodgers fan, you sit back and you're like, uh-oh, it's happening again. It's Wade again. I, I'm just preparing for the worst because this guy just finds a way to kill us in the worst situation. So, yeah, also very fantasy relevant, and uh, I like that actually as a guy that's not listed on our current list. Okay, so we're running out of time today. Next week, we are going to analyze some teams in our league and look at teams who missed the playoffs and, and kind of give you their top prospect or the best keeper, underrated potential keepers, debatable keepers, obvious non-keepers. And obviously, you won't know who's on the roster, but it can give you a good idea if you're listening of just guys who would be in that discussion. So to finish off today's show, since we're running out of time here, um, let's do a shotgun six-pack. And first up, 
Blake Snell should be a top blank pick in fantasy in 2022 leagues, just for one year leagues. Yeah, he's he's a top 75 pick to me. Um, and he could be higher. He could be taken higher. The way that he's pitched recently, it's the Blake Snell that we all know. Um, obviously, he was very uncharacteristic in the way he started out. But man, the numbers at Petco Park are ridiculous. I, he is going to be at least a top 100 player. That's why I'm saying top 75. I would say he's one of the more trustworthy starting pitchers that can get you a good K per nine. Uh, that's a big factor too. If strikeouts per nine innings is one of the categories you use, that definitely boosts Snell's value because he's been getting a lot of that lately. Yeah, it's interesting because his uh, his value was super high this past year. His average ADP was around kind of that 45 to 55 range. And I mean, it probably won't be that high this year, but I don't know. Like, there, there's so many injuries to pitchers, and the way that he's finishing uh, kind of makes me think. I agree with you, the 75. If I want to go a little bit more, like, if you're in a 10-team league and you took him in the, what would that be, uh, sixth round? by That's, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or I guess seventh round by taking him 62 overall, I don't think that'd be a bad pick at all. So – I'll even say should be a top 65 pick in 2022 fantasy leagues, which is wild because if you look at some rankings from literally just like three, four weeks ago, you might see him in like the hundreds. So it's been quite the come up for uh, Blake Snell. Uh, Number two, the Toronto Blue Jays will finish blank in the AL East. They're going to finish in second place. Um, That team is really good. They are on a fiery streak right now, coming off a sweep of the Oakland A's. Um, They look like they're competing pretty dang well against the Yankees team that, you know, just two weeks ago on our podcast, we had asked the question, are they ever going to lose? Oh, did they ever? So, uh, (laughs) you know, George Springer is going to be the key for the Blue Jays. He needs to get healthy. Um, He's been ruled day to day. uh, And it just has not been a healthy season for him. If he can come back, Holy cow, that lineup with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hitting the way that he has been hitting. I mean, my goodness, it is a scary team. That is a sneaky team, actually, to win a wild card game and then go out and face a Tampa Bay Rays team that's all too familiar with them. I mean, watch out. The the Blue Jays could end up, I'm not even joking saying this, they could find themselves facing the White Sox or the Astros in the ALCS, and it would not shock me at all. Yeah, I'll be honest. If the Blue Jays do make the playoffs, I, I I agree with you. I think they will because by that point, they would have to overcome so much with how far back they were, a handful of games. Now it's only two to the Red Sox, two and a half to the Yankees. It's not just the momentum of having to go on the success. They've won nine of their last 10 games and five in a row, but it's also just overcoming the adversity. And I feel like that momentum would push them into the playoffs with already, I mean, that actually is a pretty good staff in the postseason. Robbie Ray Robbie is Ray. a legit Cy Young candidate right now. Yeah. He, who knows? Like him and Garrett Cole, like if you look at the stats, they're not that far apart at all. Not far uh, at all. No. I mean, there's certain things that even favor Robbie Ray. So uh, Robbie Ray having Hyunjin Ryu, having Jose Barrios, who you traded for at the deadline, and that lineup, that is a dangerous team. I'm going to say third place. I still think the Yankees will turn it back on. I think the Red Sox are the team that, to me, has been fault. Like, the Yankees got hot, then are falling a little right now. I feel like that's just a reversion to how hot they got. With the Red Sox, they've been falling, like, slowly ever since the second half, and that scares me a little bit. So I'm going to say third place for the Blue Jays. They play the Yankees in the wild card, and they beat the Yankees in the wild card, and then like go it. on to face the Tampa Bay Rays, and it's just like an all-AL East battle from there. That goes five games if that happens. That mm-hmm. goes five games. It- 
it would be very fun to watch. That would be uh, one of the best playoff series. That's for sure. All right. Number three, on a scale of one to 10, your excitement level for the Tampa Bay Rays calling up top prospect Josh Lowe is blank. It's probably a three. He's a good hitter. He's been pretty – I mean, honestly, the Rays just keep churning out these guys that are decent all the time. They produce at this level. The Rays are just loaded. That farm system's ridiculous. Low is very good, though. Um, and, uh, my gosh, how many lows can they possibly produce, I swear. Did you see the other day, by the way, Derek, that uh, Nate Lowe, who's now with the Texas Rangers – uh, he's decided to call himself Nathaniel Lowe, which no, why would not. you do that? Because that's the most unbaseball name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like if you want to ruin your career, change your name from Nate Lowe, which is a great baseball name uh, to Nathaniel Lowe. I, I mean, as an announcer or broadcaster, as the two of us are both media people saying Nathaniel Lowe on highlights, which I had to this past week is just such a drag. I mean, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But it's a three for me. Okay, so I'll go with a five, which is just like right down the middle. He's like a really good power hitter in uh, he's the a good minors. Player. He's, he's a good player. Yeah, and he's also like a really good guy at getting steals. This is what's interesting. You don't see these guys necessarily a ton. The power steal combo from him. Um, if if you factor in the ninety eight games he played in AAA this year and hit twenty one home runs and average that out to a hundred sixty two game season, that's like a thirty five home run year. He also had 24 steals in the 98 games. So you're talking about what, like a 30, 40 guy. Um, I don't know how much the average is going to be there. He hit 260 in his career in the minors, though he did hit 282 at AAA. But you're obviously looking at a drop from AAA to the majors with what your average is going to be. But if you hit, I don't know, 250 with 30 home runs and even 20 steals, that's a top 50 fantasy player. So I'm excited from that standpoint, but also like, I don't know. How much is he going to play right away for the Rays? Is he just going to rotate in? This doesn't seem to impact things too much right now, so that tempers my excitement a little bit. It would be a 10, though, if Nate Lowe, if Nate Lowe was still on the team because then you could have Nate Lowe, Josh Lowe, and Brandon Lau on the same team. All right, yeah. number four. It'd be wild. The news that Jacob deGrom's injury was a sprain to his ligament in his elbow, but now supposedly is fully intact, means DeGrom would be a top blank pitcher for you and fantasy moving forward. Okay, so I, first of all, I have decided that I no longer value pitchers ever. Uh, And this is the most sporadic, dusty comment, just because I have Garrett Cole on my team, he gets hurt. Uh, I was expecting a two-star week from him in my first week in the, uh, the good old fantasy playoffs. Now I don't get any of him. Jacob DeGrom scares me now uh, as a player. I I mean, he's a great pitcher, elite. Uh, Probably the best, Derek, I would say, since Clayton Kershaw that we've seen um, in in terms of his prime. But DeGrom's outside of the age of 30. I believe he's 31 years old. And so uh, in terms of having a UCL injury, all of a sudden he's recovering. I don't buy it. Uh, He's the top 30 pick for me but I would steer so far clear of DeGrom just because there's other great pitchers out there. He's going to end up getting picked in the top two rounds. Um, and whoever picks him is basically picking a Mike Trout of pitching where it's, you know, you're getting a great pitcher, but are you actually going to get a full season or even a half a season out of them? I just don't buy it. I, I steer clear of both those players actually in fantasy next year. So the issue is like all pitchers have injury risk. I would be at a point where before all this came out, I probably would have still gone Jacob DeGrom first for pitchers. I'm probably at a point now where I'd go Garrett Cole in front of him, but I don't know. Even after that, like DeGrom is just so good that it scares me a little, but 
like I said, every pitcher has huge injury risk. So I'll, I'll still say, I don't know, just to be safe, I'll say top three pitcher in fantasy moving forward. But that's for one year league. Now, if we're talking dynasty, it's a different case, right? Um, and, and I'll say this you mentioned he is over 30. He was not a pitcher, though, coming up in the prep ranks. He was a shortstop. So he doesn't have maybe as much of the wear and tear on his arm that a normal pitcher would have. But that's only good for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years. So uh, yeah. I'll say top three. I'll say top three. All right. Number five, AJ Pollock, his career OPS plus, which an OPS plus measures how you do with OPS in your ballpark specifically in what ballparks you hit compared to the league average 100 means you're basically average by OPS that season. Oh, AJ Pollock's OPS plus is 115. Derek Jeter, who just got inducted into the hall of fame, his career OPS plus was 115 thoughts. I mean, it's funny because obviously we all know AJ Pollock is so far away from the hall of fame. It's he's not, his name will never even get thrown out there because it shouldn't. Um, You know, Derek Jeter is an icon. Uh, and I think that's a massive reason why he got this. And of course, he's a world champion multiple times, three consecutive years, obviously, uh, from 98 to 2000. He won it again in 09. Um, and the absolute legend hit over 3,000 hits. Jeter's resume is obviously much better. It's just funny to look at those stats, though, because it does make you realize how much of image it impacted Derek Jeter's way of getting to the Hall of Fame. Do I think that Jeter didn't deserve? No, no. I think he fully, fully deserved to go to the Hall of Fame. It's the same reason why I will probably argue that Yadi Molina should also be in the Hall of Fame because Yadi Molina's OPS, as we talked about a couple podcasts ago, there's nothing beyond impressive about it. You know, you could compare most of the average hitters in the league to him, but it's the amount of starts, it's the impact he had on his team, it's the championships, it's everything that encompasses that that makes Yachty Molina and therefore what also obviously made Derek Jeter as valuable as, as he was. AJ Pollock is a good player. Uh, he's serviceable. He's currently hurt as we speak, unfortunately injured himself in the Dodgers giant series. It's going to be a more painful hit to the Dodgers than I think people realize. Uh, but yeah, AJ Pollock, a good player, Derek Jeter an icon. That's the big difference between the two of them. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I agree. Uh, I do think like, there are a lot of, oh, Derek Jeter's overrated comments, which to an extent, like I get it. He, you know, wasn't a guy who hit a bunch of home runs. He had 100 RBI season. So from the standpoint of people viewing him as like the greatest player in the game, if if that's how you viewed it, then then yes, um, it would be overrated. But he was still like, like you said, a player who had a ton of longevity, was really good on really good baseball teams. Like he is definitely Hall of Fame worthy. So uh, no issue there. It just kind of a funny stack comparison all right number six adam wainwright should be in the cy young he should finish i'm gonna give you over under or about the same of number six in the cy young voting i would say over absolutely i i I like adam wainwright well over in the sense of i i think he should be a better pick better pick than six so he'll be top five then basically he'll be top five you have uh the two dodgers which are walker bueller and max scherzer Mm -hmm. that should be getting Pretty automatic recognition for me. Um, you can make the argument that Wainwright's number three on that list for me, actually. Uh, really? As we speak, 
Yeah, I mean, the way that he's pitched down the stretch has been remarkable. The Cardinals have overused him almost, and he's answered the bell pretty much every time. In fact, ironically enough, we're talking about him. Uh, during the time of recording, he just got pulled out of the game against the Dodgers. They overuse him. I think the ERA sometimes a little bit higher than it should be because the Cardinals try to get every ounce of this man as possible. Uh, he went to the ninth inning, uh, got an out. So eight and a third innings pitch of three-run baseball. Originally, he had two runs allowed through eight innings. I mean, this guy time after time is just eating up innings while allowing minimal runs. Uh, it is remarkable what he's been able to accomplish in the league. Obviously, Jacob deGrom, if he's healthy, then we're, our conversation is completely different here. But uh, the way that he's been pitching down the stretch, he's given the Cardinals a chance. And so, yeah, I, I legitimately think that he should be in that discussion. Obviously, you also have uh, Kevin Gosman that's in that discussion that has pitched well. I wish that I could throw Logan Webb in the discussion mm. just based off of how good he's been because he's been absolutely dominant over his last, I believe, seven starts. Um, if he had a full season of what he's been doing, Logan Webb is a Cy Young candidate. Uh, and then you have Woodruff and you have Corbin Burns, obviously. Corbin Burns probably should take that number two slot, number three slot. Scherzer has been unreal lately. I still think Walker Buehler is probably the top. It's it's borderline uh, burn. I was not thinking clearly with Burns, but give Wainwright the number four spot, in my opinion. Um, go Bueller, I would go Burns, go Scherzer, go Wainwright, go Woodruff, um, probably Gosman. That's kind of the direction I would go with that. What about you? So I would go outside of the top six uh, just because I Bueller and Scherzer would be above them for me. Burns and Woodruff would be above them for me. So that already now you're behind four guys. And then Gossman is interesting. Like if you look at the totality of the stats, Gossman is a little bit better, mainly because of the strikeouts, but the ERA and whip aren't that far off from Wainwright. Um, but Wainwright has been so much better in the second half than Gossman is. So that one would be very close for me. So we'll call it four and a push. I would, uh, same with Zach Wheeler, like Wheeler, ERA, whip are close, but Wheeler has so many more strikeouts. Wheeler's um, strikeout numbers have been unreal this year. Yeah. Just so that's really kind of close to a push. Yeah. I don't know. I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll actually, mm, it's this tough. Is the toughest one for me. It's tough. Yeah, I'll, I'll say he finishes at six. I'll say he finishes okay. at six in terms I of I like him at five. You like him at six. Yeah. How, how crazy is that, though, that – like, I have him in fantasy. And at this point, I am thinking about, like, okay, this this sounds absurd because he's 40 years old right now. Keep him. But I'm thinking about, like, do I keep him? Because, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like having Charlie Morton, you know? Like, you yeah. never know when it's going to end. But if he keeps pitching like this, like, let's roll, baby. He, you know, we talk all about these young players under 26 and whatnot, Adam Wainwright, Charlie Morton, Joey Votto. They are the exact description of why in fantasy baseball, you should never undervalue players just because they're old, right? You should <laughs> never undervalue them just because you're old. A, a lot of people love to dig for the young players. They like them because the potential and whatnot. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of that as charged. And I know Derek is too. Like we both value young guys, but the reality is this, you can get some serious value from some of these older players just because they're older, right? Like, like it's as crazy as that. And so Adam Wainwright belongs in that discussion. Uh, and I don't think it's crazy to consider him to be a potential keeper. I really don't because down the stretch, he's just been unbelievable. All right. He is Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's going to do it for episode number 34 for us here. The Roy Halladay episode on booze and baseball. Uh
Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. We're on social media at Booze and Baseball. You can email us boozeandbaseball at gmail.com to ask any questions or suggest some alcohol to review. Thanks to Mix Kit for the stock music. Thank you to Man Cave Merch for awesome coasters. And if you would like to purchase a coaster, use code BNB15. That's BNB15. And you get 15% off your order with Man Cave Merch. Drink responsibly and have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Bye.